0: Hello, this is Dr. Dan I coming to you from Authentic Biochemistry Studios in conjunction and formulation with Vera Med. Today I'm going to talk to you about diabetes. We've been discussing inflammation, and then we were also including how inflammation can be induced by chronic health considerations, such as obesity. I talked a bit about obesity the last couple of lectures, both in a video and in two audio immediately prior to this one. What I want to do now is talk more about type 2 diabetes because this is an underlying disease associated with obesity. So we got as far as talking about the fact that diabetes itself is a disease of glucose intolerance, also known as a GID or glucose intolerance disorder. Type 2 diabetes mellitus is the most common form of diabetes these these days. You find non-Caucasian elderly are disproportionately affected. Common risk factors, no surprise, obesity, no surprise, aging, and then with that, almost as if it makes up the evil triumvirate, a sedentary lifestyle. So overweight, aging, sedentary lifestyle. Sound like something that we've seen a lot going on in the United States in the last two to three decades. Now, another thing about T2D or type 2 diabetes is you get insulin resistance and eventually you get beta cell dysfunction. And so chronically, after years of having type 2 diabetes be prodromal and then come on full steam. Adequate insulin is synthesized initially, even sometimes hyperinsulinemia is occurring, but eventually because of insulin resistance and because of feedback regulation, we talked a lot about in my endocrine hormone lectures, the beta cells of the pancreas where insulin is actually synthesized and secreted become destroyed. And then you actually do, it does result in insulinopenia, and then sometimes even type 2 diabetics require insulin. So you know the type 1 is considered insulin-dependent. That's from the get-go because that's an autoimmune disease. We have some ideas of what might cause that in very young children, but we don't have enough information yet to be able to um, stop it. But we think it's an autoimmune disease related to self-antigens associated with maybe early infections in children. That's insulin-dependent because the beta cells of the pancreas are basically being destroyed by the immune system not the case with t2d t2d is late onset it's a behavioral lifestyle disease person's not going to get type 2 diabetes except under very very rare mutational circumstances that involve both genetic and epigenetic malfunctions most people who get type 2 diabetes get it by way of bad choices in lifestyle excessive overeating long-term sedentary lifestyle And sometimes also substance abuse, such as cigarettes and alcohol, uh, and also in some instances, um, drugs, both pharmaceutical type drugs uh, and the ones that are are obtained illicitly. So I just want to put that out there. But basically, insulin resistance is a key factor. Don't worry, I'm going to explain all that. So if you consider how this kind of diabetes, T2D, works, the GI tract does not absorb well glucose. The liver is secreting glucose, both from glycogenolysis and from gluconeogenesis. Both uh, metabolic pathways are turned on. So glycogen is broken down in the liver. That's the major storage organ for the homopolymer of glucose, known as glycogen. Uh, And gluconeogenesis is occurring in the liver uh, because, again, the the system senses that there isn't enough glucose because the, the insulin isn't working correctly. So more and more insulin is synthesized to absorb or that is to take up insulin from the bloodstream, for example, in the muscle and in the adipose, which are major reservoirs for glucose utilization uh, that are insulin dependent. Insulin is required for the uptake uh, of glucose. Uh, Nevertheless, the, the homeostatic mechanisms are not recognizing the fact that there is adequate glucose. In fact, there's hyper. Uh, glu- uh, levels of glucose in the blood, right? So you get glucose going to the neural tissue, plenty of it. In fact, some would argue that might cause interruptions in neural transmission even early on in the prodromal phases. Um, the pancreas is essentially trying to produce insulin, but also generating glucagon because the glucagon is being secreted because the, the pancreas senses there isn't enough. there isn't enough glucose present because the insulin rheostat isn't functioning correctly. Likewise, glucose is taken up still by muscle tissue as long as there's some adequate insulin and also by adipose tissue. These are prodromal phases. What are some clinical manifestations of T2D? Polyuria, polydipsia, polyphagia, and and there are other more subtle things such as some, uh, some... Links to major depressive disorder and anxiety disorders, and of course, eating disorders in general. Ketoacidosis is uncommon because you're not producing acetoacetate and beta hydroxybutyrate from the beta oxidation of fatty acids in the liver because you're not getting utilization of, of fatty acids because there's a tremendous amount of circulating glucose. And there's a lot of metabolic pathways that are corrupted. For utilization of fatty acids from uh, adipose tissue or other peripheral systems to the liver because of an inadequate utilization of beta oxidation products. Hence, you get beta oxidation, you don't make enough ketone bodies because you're still synthesizing tremendous amounts of glucose because you're utilizing things like lactic acid and amino acids like alanine, glutamine, glutamate, aspartate, and, aspar- and asparagine. Um, rather than uh, making ketone bodies. So you get a hyperglycemic, hyperosmolar, non-ketotic coma that can occur, and it develops due to severe dehydration, and, more co- and it's more common, of course, in the sedentary uh, elderly. All right. So there are a couple of other types of uh, diabetes I should mention real quickly. There's a genetic defect in the beta cells. It's also mature onset. I'm going to talk about later in a clinical case study, Uh, but that it it can happen in younger people. And that's called M-O-D-Y or mature onset diabetes of the young. Okay. M-O-D. There are also genetic defects in insulin action that is at the level of the insulin receptor or downstream from that. There are diseases of, in general, the exocrine pancreas. Remember insulin is, is a component of the endocrine uh, role of that organ, but the exocrine role of that organ can also be corrupted, and that can lead to a type 2 diabetes or at least to a, diabe- a diabetic state. There are also endocrinopathies. I talked a lot about these, the fact that um, adipokines aren't, aren't functioning correctly. They're not synthesized from, uh, at the right levels in the concentration, or the HPA axis is somehow corrupted. We talked a lot about that last couple of lectures. There's also uh, linkages to drug, other chemical, or infection-induced diabetes. Uh, And there's also, of course, gestational diabetes in pregnant women. So gestational diabetes, or GDM, is a disorder of glucose intolerance, again, of variable severity with onset, usually during pregnancy, early on, in fact. It does resemble type 2 diabetes, most likely precipitated by the pres- uh, presence of excessive amounts of new relative in concentration placental hormones. And the management is usually through dietary uh, restrictions, uh, exercise during pregnancy, and then monitoring very closely the ratio of glucose to uh, ketone bodies. So there are ways to diagnose GDM. I'm not going to go through that, but it's a glucose tolerance test, but there are plenty of techniques. So women that are pregnant are often given this test, and it's pretty easy to diagnose. Now, with diabetes in general, there's a pre-diabetic state. And so how is that normally characterized? uh, Thusly, impaired glucose tolerance and impaired fasting glucose tolerance. Don't worry, we'll talk about this soon. Intermediate stages between the normal glucose metabolism and frank diabetes. So there's a spectrum or range. And it represents, there's also a representation of certain risk factors for the development of diabetes and, in fact, onset of cardiovascular disease. And these include things like, yes, obesity. So, one of the clinical manifestations and complications of uh, T2D is acute hyperglycemia, commonly caused by alterations in nutrition and sedentary lifestyle or inactivity and inadequate use of anti diabetic medications, of which there are plentiful from uh, the pharmacy. Symptoms of acute hyperglycemia are polyuria, polydipsia, polyphagia, nausea fatigue, and blurred vision. Now, these are rather general presentations, but if you get that cluster and you already have high levels of circulating glucose, it's a pretty good idea that you're becoming uh, hyperglycemic. And of course, hyperglycemic uh, individuals are more prone to infections from bacteria, viruses, fungi, and parasites. Chronic hyperglycemia can lead to systemic changes also over time and increase the risk of lots of other diseases, including T2D itself, metabolic syndrome, which has to do with elevation of blood pressure, and a, a beginning of glucose intolerance and insulin resistance. So, that's, so we've got hypertension, we've got metabolic syndrome, we've got CBD or cardiovascular disease, And we also have heart disease, which is different from CBD. Uh, And you also, uh, uh, chronic hyperglycemia can also render a person more susceptible to stroke. Complications are categorized in this system as vascular and as neuropathic. So what are the vascular complications? There's the macrovascular, it's the damage to the large large blood vessels. And that, of course, can lead to cardiovascular disease, atherosclerosis being a component of that. And, of course, that can lead to stroke, ischemic stroke. Microvascular involves things like retinopathy, nephropathy, and abnormal thickening of basement membranes and capillaries, and that can lead to blindness uh, and to renal failure. So these are dangerous diseases. The macrovascular complications... Uh, diabetes is an independent risk factor for coronary artery disease. Again, coronary artery disease risk factors such as dyslipidemia, hypertension, impaired fibrinolysis are present in uncontrolled diabetes and can improve with blood glucose control. These are well established medical paradigms. Again, the microvascular complications, you get hypoglycemia. That's going to disrupt platelet function and aggregation. It's also going to disrupt growth of basement membranes. So you're going to get a thickening of the basement membrane because of restriction in flow. And that, that sometimes can help regulate glycemic control in the short term. But there are risk factors of microvascular complications. And of course, they include an elevation of blood pressure, hypertension, and cigarette smoking or smoking in general. What about the neuropathic complications of diabetes? you get diabetic neuropathy. This is an autonomic system dysfunction. You get GI disturbances, bladder dysfunction, tachycardia, postural hypotension, and indeed also sexual dysfunction. Sensory disturbances include a carpal tunnel syndrome associated with diabetes, paresthesias, okay? There's a numbness or dysthesias, no feelings at all, in the extremities, such as in the toes and the fingers. Other neuropathic complications, excessive glucose, might interfere with myoinositol uh, and the inositol phosphate cascade in neurons in the CNS and the peripheral nervous system as well. And there might be a reduced synthesis of myoinositol in the peripheral nerves specifically. So glycemic control can prevent or improve symptoms of diabetic neuropathy, but... Again, very tight control, and that's not the only thing that has to be monitored. So what about diabetes in general? If we look at it in the United States, how prevalent is it? First of all, it's a real huge age distribution. So less than 0.2% of people less than 20 years old are diagnosed with diabetes. It's basically not a disease of the young. You only get up to about 26 to 2.8% of the total diabetes, Or prevalence of diabetes by age. When you're in your 20s and late, all the way till you're 40, it increases up to about 11 percent when you are in your 40s to about 60, and then over 60, more than 24 percent of all prevalence of diabetes is occurring in people over the age of 60 in the United States. Now, this data I'm getting is from uh, the National Institute of Diabetes uh, and Kidney Dysfunction, so nitic is the name of it. Estimated crude prevalence of diagnosed diabetes, undiagnosed and total among adults of various age groups. This is 18 years or older. Uh, this is between 2013 and 2016. I'm going to go through this data rather quickly. But the total diagnosed in those years was about 102 uh, the a percentage of those uh, in, that, in that total group, undiagnosed about 2.8, total diabetes somewhere around 13. So 13 million people. In age distribution, again, between 18 and 44, only about 4.2 of that 13 million. Uh, whereas over 65, this is where we see the real kick up, 27% of those uh, diagnosed with diabetes are from that age group. Um, Men had slightly higher levels than women, and in between 2013 and 2016, the racial distribution um, was not that amazingly disparate. So about 12% for white, about, well, 16.4% for black, about 50% for Asian, and about 50% for Hispanic. Now, Here is newer data. This is the estimated number of adults aged 18 years or older with diagnosed diabetes or with presumed but undiagnosed prodromal diabetes. And then the total diabetes estimate from the year 2018. So this is what we have data from. This is directly from the CDC site. This is 2018 is where we have complete year data. Uh, Diagnosed list has gone up quite a bit. Now we have about 27 million people with diabetes diagnosed another 7.3 that are very likely diabetic, but yet yet to be diagnosed. So that kicks the total number up to 34 million people. That's like nine and a half, almost 10% of the population. Again, the age distribution, uh, about five, five million of those 35 million are younger people, 18 to 44. So that number is starting to rise a little bit, Um, the middle age group between 45 and 64, that number's gone up too. Now it's about 14.8 million of the 34.1. And that's about equivalent to the people over 65. So we're starting to see more diabetes and more of the middle age and even creeping down into the younger people. It's a bad thing to see when you're, looking, when you're comparing health records. Right? It doesn't mean that um, this is not plateauing. It might well be. But as of 2018, it certainly looked like it was on the rise or on the increase. Men did start to show or break away from having a little bit more diabetes than women. We have about 18 million men and about 16 million women. Now here's where you see some really interesting numbers. The number of people who are white race that have diabetes of that 34 million, almost 20 million of them are are white. 5.2 are black, 2.3 are Asian, and about 6.4 are Hispanic. Now this is total number. So when you consider the racial distribution, that does mean that the Black and Hispanic populations are starting to incur much higher levels of diabetes relative to their uh, percent of the population that fall into those racial groups. Now, here's a paper published back in 2007, and I want you to have this information so we can proceed. Uh, this is uh, published in a Japanese Journal of Experimental Medicine. Uh, and, I, and the reference is 2007, August, pages uh, August, uh, and the uh, volume is uh, 212, and the pages are 349 and 357. Both impaired glucose tolerance, that's also known as IGT, and impaired fasting glucose, IFG, are pre diabetic states. Now, what is IGT? Normal fasting glucose, which means less than about 6 millimole per liter blood, and but an abnormal 2-hour post-challenge plasma glucose. That means the lack of being able to uh, deal with the glucose load and to get glucose uptake from the sera, okay? So that's a glucose intolerance, okay? Now, the IFG, or impaired fasting glucose, is basically reverse the numbers, IFG, you get abnormal fasting plasma and normal two-hour post-challenge. So fasting plasma glucose levels are abnormal. But after a two-hour challenge of of glucose, you get a decrease in glucose. So this study was done with about 110 subjects uh, that had IGT and 52 with IFG. They were given an oral glucose tolerance test, and they were given also an insulin suppression test. Uh, and then that, with those two values, you can get a good quantification of insulin resistance. Of course, the risk factors that they were looking at were waist to hip ratio. Again, it's a Japanese study, so slightly different. In the US, you often hear about using BMI, but waist to hip ratio, the level of circulating triacylglycerol, the level of high density lipoprotein cholesterol (HDLC), not LDL. You'll see why in a minute. Blood pressure, of course and fasting plasma glucose. All of those can be associated with metabolic syndrome and insulin resistance. And remember, that's kind of the prodromal state for t 2 d They use the factorial analysis. That's, of course, always used as the standard statistical method because it can reduce a large number of risk factors into smaller groups. And those are labeled as dimensions of the disease, okay?
1: So the risk factors of IGT
0: and IFG do have similar grouping patterns. Tricyglycerol levels increased. uh, The insulin resistance to the the receptor has a problem. And also HDL cholesterol. All three of those components were grouped in one dimension. They call that the lipid dimension. While the waist-hip ratio, mean blood pressure, and fasting glucose were grouped into another dimension they called the metabolic. Except for waist hip ratio, the grouping patterns of the components in both IGT and IFG were basically identical. So those results suggested that both of those glucose tolerance disorders may share common pathophysiologies. And here's the kicker. HDL cholesterol, higher levels, are associated with lower risk for cardiovascular disease. However, low HDL cholesterol puts you at a higher risk for heart disease. It's different from CBD. So people with high blood triacylglycerol usually also have a much lower HDL cholesterol. It's because of how lipoprotein metabolism works. So genetic factors, type 2 diabetes, and certain drugs like beta blockers used for what? Hypertension. And the anabolic steroids, of course, sometimes used by bodybuilders, but also used to control the immune system, uh, will lower HDL cholesterol levels. All of that can lead to diabetes. Okay. So smoking, being overweight, and being sedentary also all contribute to lower high-density lipoprotein cholesterol. Is on the actual history of type 2 diabetes? So, obesity uh, takes a, a major component here in the prodomal stage. These pre diabetic years could be anywhere from uh, 15 years out to when diabetes is, is diagnosed to as little as 10 to five years before diabetes is um, detected and diagnosed. The post meal glucose tolerance test doesn't show a whole lot in the prodomal phase. Um, uh, but both it and fasting glucose levels are starting to rise. Once they get above a certain level, for fasting glucose above about 100 milligram per deciliter, and for the post-meal, post-branial glucose tolerance test, if you get up of about 150, 160 milligram per deciliter, then you're going to be considered a type 2 diabetic. Insulin resistance comes up as a quickly prodromally. So you're constantly becoming more resistant to insulin, uh, binding to its receptor and during downstream processing, such as glucose uptake, even as back as far as 15 years before TGD is diagnosed. You also get out the, the very common IFG and IGT phenotype, uh, biomedical phenotypes, and you get metabolic syndrome, all prodromal. You diagnose, Once you get the diabetes diagnosis, you start to see that indeed, Insulin resistance plateaus and remains very high. Okay, so this is basically the issue here. And so you get insulin resistance, and because of that, your insulin response starts to decline. And then you're frankly just diagnosed with diabetes. Uh, So to cap off some of this epidemiological uh, understanding, environmental factors like Hypernutrition, which leads to obesity, and then physical inactivity or sedentary lifestyle. It's going to, first of all, accumulate as a presentation of insulin resistance, and you're going to get IGT as another phenotype. Um, You're going to have hyperinsulinemia early on. You're going to get that tanking of HDL cholesterol, an increase in triaclycerol. You're going to show atherosclerosis, and you're going to see hypertension. So remember, tanking of the HDL cholesterol means you're on your way to type 2 diabetes because that's how lipoprotein metabolism functions. It's not if you have a high level or a low level does it mean that there's a healthy state. It depends on what disease, prodromally, and later on, fully fully pathophysiological response to disease, what the poise is for different lipoproteins. So diabetes onset starts about here. But you continue on with that. Atherosclerosis, hyperglycemia, and hypertension. You get an ongoing hyperglycemia with time. Complications start to build in. You get retinopathy, nephropathy, neuropathy, things we just talked about. Uh, Nephropathy, of course, has to do with kidney malfunction. Uh, And then you can get disability later on. And then finally, even death from type 2 diabetes. And then then the kinds of things that contribute to this are blindness, uh, high morbidity there, renal failure, cardiovascular heart disease, and then ultimately even amputations are sometimes administered before a person comes to uh, death caused by diabetes. Um, I'm going to talk next about the Framingham study. Uh, This was done with subsequent ages of 35 and 64 with a 36-year follow-up. They were looked at cardiovascular events like coronary disease, stroke, peripheral artery disease, cardiac failure, and then all CBD events. And they looked at men and women, and they looked at a rate per 1,000. They looked at an age-adjusted risk ratio. So basically, I can tell you that um, cardiac failure really increases in women after the 36-year study. Uh, The risk ratio there goes up to 7.8, where men are about 4.4. All cardiovascular events, there's more of a leveling, about 2.2 risk ratio for men, about 3.7 for women. I'm going to go back over this data um, when I get to the next uh, presentation, which will be very soon here. So I'm going to stop and I'll tell you more about the Framingham study, which caused a lot of stir in the biomedical community when it relates to um, hyperglycemia, control over hyperglycemia, and of course the issues associated with obesity, and then going from a prodromal metabolic syndrome state a full-blown type 2 diabetes. This this Framingham study is the one that really set the stage for an alarming realization that diabetes and obesity is a very, very morbid and potentially mortal disease, mortal pathophysiology, and something that's been now monitored regularly as people age. So we'll get more into that uh, next time, Uh, but right now I'm going to say Uh, This is Dr. Dan Gouer from Authentic Biochemistry on the 31st of May. The year is 2020. Saying bye for now.